Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Muller She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my returning guest is Democratic strategist Simon Rosenberg. I absolutely love talking to him because he's smart, he's optimistic, and he knows his stuff. But before we get into it, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, listener-funded, and woman-run. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup to see the variety of tiers offered, including the option to get two bonus What's Up episodes per week. Kind of like my online journal where I get a little more personal and talk about whatever is on my mind. There's also an ad-free tier with a much shorter intro. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Now please enjoy my conversation with Simon Rosenberg. Welcome back to the show, Simon. It's good to be here, as always, Kimberly. Well, I'm just so glad to see that you're ascending and getting more and more popular because your important optimism, or I should say your optimism is so important, it's so needed, and not only is it your optimism, it's your information and your data and the way that you present. So I just, I do, once again, want to thank you for your reasonable, measured, you know, tone on the internet. (laughs) Well, it's a pleasure, and I do have this new Substack, right, called Hopium Chronicles, where People should come. You can subscribe for free, but it's it's real. I've really enjoyed the format. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed writing every day. I haven't done that in a long time, so it's been a lot of fun and um, taking some shots when I need to and staying happy and hopey hopey uh, <laughs> other times. And uh, but it's been a lot of fun. So okay, I've got of course I've got questions for you, and I just want to yes. start this off. I mean, whenever you've been on. Um, you know, your, your optimism inspires me. I'm inspired by anybody who's optimistic. And I, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're seeing um, these reports and we'll get to them in a minute, but the reports about Trump and, and being indicted and all this stuff. So I, I'm seeing people out there saying, well, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And it drives me yeah. nuts because I feel like, okay, I get where you don't want to feel like you're being duped. But I, I don't think it's foolish ever to be hopeful. I don't, I, I think people are afraid to get egg on their face if they were hopeful for something and it didn't turn out. And and then the other thing that I see is people just making the assumption that we're going to lose, whether it's the election or if we're going to lose because Trump is never going to be held accountable or whatever it is. And I just, I feel like the reason that they're saying that is because there have been instances in the past that, you know, negative things have happened. And so they're looking at that as some kind of evidence that it's, it's like now law, Something bad happened once, so it's going to happen again. But what they're neglecting is the fact that there have been good things happening. And instead of focusing on them and saying, well, you know what? We won the 2020 election and we won 2022. So I I wish people would be a little bit more um, focused on the positives that we've experienced and use them to decide how to see things as opposed to just focusing solely on, you know, the negative shit. So I just just have to throw that out there. I think it's about being measured, right? I think it's about trying to stay present in the moment and not bringing, you know, too much from the past into the current analysis of what's happening. And, you know, the truth is it is smart to not jump ahead of things Mm -hmm. and to not, you know, you can't predict the future. We don't know what's going to happen next week. We don't know what's going to happen with Jack Smith, but part of political analysis is what is likely to happen. Mm -hmm. What's the most likely scenario. And part of the reason I got the election right in 2022 was that we had data-based forecasting that allowed us to sort of argue that, you know, this is what we thought was the most likely outcome. It wasn't the only outcome and mm-hmm. we weren't predicting because no one can predict the future. Yeah. Right? And um, I wish I could do that, but I can't. And, and so I think that, you know, part of what's important for all of us is to stay grounded 
in reality and in today, into today. And what is true, I think, is that the Democratic Party is strong. Joe Biden has been a good president. The country is better off. We've had really good elections this year. They are an unbelievable historic mess in every possible way. Um, and so I think when I look at the landscape right now, what I see on our side is strength, progress, winning elections, right? And when I see when I look at them is unbelievable historic mess, infighting, terrible candidates, extremism. And so we should be optimistic that the kind of can-do kind of politics that we've put forward, the strong grassroots, that Joe Biden's been a good president, that we can take that politics and sell it to the, to the American people mm -hmm. over the next year and a half, whereas their path to sell their ugliness is much harder to see. And, yeah. and, and, and it's not just Trump's ugliness, which is going to be ugly for the next year and a half, no matter who the nominee is, whether mm -hmm. he is or somebody else. The backstory of their leader and former president getting indicted, being a traitor, all the things that are going to happen is going to be really bad for them. But I think the second other really bad thing that is going to hurt them a lot over the next year and a half is DeSantis's extremist experiment in mm -hmm. Florida and the backlash. And so we're getting a taste of what he would be like if he was president. And no one's going to like that. You know, a majority of the country is not going to like that taste. No one wants mm -hmm. to become like Florida and what he's done. So I think that they're way out of position, whereas I think we're in position. Hmm. And I feel good about where we are. But obviously that's today. Right. And the election's a long way off. And a lot's going to happen between now and then. Yeah. So uh, 100%. And um, I think that's, I mean, I'm going to go back to you saying, as far as predictions are concerned, whether it's election predictions or indictment predictions, you know, nobody knows. It's just like the whole argument about, is Trump going to go to prison? The, there's going to be one judge who makes that decision. So everybody can, you know, argue. And, and we can look at, I mean, we've never had this particular scenario where a former president um, would be sentenced. Um, but at the same time, we can take a look back at history and see what have happened to former presidents who have been, um, or at least we knew committed crimes, whether they were found guilty of them or not, uh, and what happened to them. I mean, Nixon got pardoned. So, and a lot of people have gotten away with stuff, and we know that. But in this particular case, um, th this is new. Uh, it's uncharted territory. And I think instead of making the assumption that nothing is going to happen to him, I think it's just like you said, don't try to predict it, just kind of wait and see. Because- Yeah, I mean, yeah. can I just jump in and say, yes. I, I think what we do know, and I, and I, I, I seldomly write about all these legal machinations because I feel like, you know, it's just gonna happen and when it happens, yeah. we can discuss it. I have no way of knowing, I'm not a lawyer, but I do think the fact that we now know, based on reporting, that espionage is on the table mm -hmm. and that the head of the counterintelligence division of the FBI is leading the day-to-day -day work with the grand jury in Florida is a very significant development. And mm -hmm. and I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't, in my view, I've always felt that Trump was vulnerable on issues of betrayal and, and treason and, you know, some version of that, right? Whatever the right legal term is that he has betrayed the country in every possible way. And what he did with these top secret documents was a profound betrayal of the United States. And so it's, you know, the real interesting question for me, the thing I wrote about today that I, in my substack is that the question of whether or not they're going to connect this missing document that we now know about, which was that there's one very important document that's missing. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And that yes. document has is the war plans for the United States to attack Iran. Mm-hmm. The obvious country that would have interest in getting that document would be Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. The Saudis are the ones who poured two billion dollars into the Trump family and done this golf, this ridiculous golf thing with mm-hmm. the Trump family. And so there is now a missing document that almost certainly the Saudis would be the most interested in. Mm-hmm. Then you have these payouts to the Trump family from the Saudis. And you now have the head of counterintelligence running the, the South Florida, um, uh, this, running the South Florida grand jury. It sure looks like that they're going to start poking around in the Saudi money. And, yeah. and you know, and if, to me, I hope that's, I think that would be very important because I think that the bribe that Jared Kushner took, the $2 billion bribe that the Trump family and Kushner took is the most corrupt act in the history of the United States, mm-hmm. period, over and out. There's nothing even remotely close to this. It was so brazen and out in the open. It's continued through the Live Golf Tournament and other things. And I just think this is not okay. And and it's really important for us to draw a very bright line when a foreign government is coming and so brazenly getting involved in our domestic politics, um, and, as the Russia did in 2016 mm-hmm. and as the Saudis are doing now. And I, and I think that it is so I'm encouraged by where this is going based on the reporting. But to your point, you know, we're going to find out really soon mm-hmm. what's going to happen. But I, I, I think this is none of this is going to be good for the Republican Party or Donald Trump. There's nothing about Trump's legal problems, his betrayal of the country or any of this that will somehow become positive for him mm-hmm. with normie voters. It may be positive for him among the 60 percent of Republicans that like him. But for everyone else, this is another nail in his political coffin, mm-hmm. and it's it's a significant and and it's going to go on now potentially for a year. I mean, he's going to trial early next year, right? And and so the backdrop of this election is going to be the drama of Donald Trump mm-hmm. getting mo- indicted multiple times, going through trials, all the legal machinations, and the reason why at the end of the day this is so bad for the Republican Party is if this ends up being half of the news coverage of Republicans, <laughs> just Trump's malfeasance and his mm-hmm. depravities, and the rest of the Republican Party gets the other half, mm-hmm. he's going to be eating up a lot of the news hole, as they call it, every day with really negative stuff about yeah. the Republicans that they just won't have any ability to turn off. Wow. And, yeah, and, and it's really that. significant in that regard, right? Like, this is just going to be a constant drumbeat for the next year and a half. You know, whoever whoever the nominee is mm-hmm. and and it's it's a real problem for the Republican Party. Yeah, I want to talk to you about the problems in the Republican Party in just a second, but I want to point out to people who may not be aware because it seems there's quite a few is that if you are even if you're in jail, you can run for president. So, not that I think Trump is going to be in jail uh before election day, but I'm just, you know, people think that these kinds of things would keep him out of office and it's like no there's no, no law yeah you're right Kimberly it's not he's gonna run you know while he's got a breath right, right he'll be running because it this allows him to bring out. in money to pay for his legal defense you know it's it, it he, it's a business for him mm-hmm. this is a business and he's gonna run until he drops right I mean he may be running for the rest of his life yeah in the way that, that Ron Paul <laughs> ran every four years and right. never had a chance of winning but it funded his life and allowed right. him to write books and it was a business and it's why so many Republicans get in to the presidential election, which is that on the Republican side, yeah. it's a business. You run for president, you make a bunch of money, you 
get a book contract, you sell the book. And it's just a way to keep your celebrity and your mm-hmm. machine going, even if you have no chance of winning. And so I, my expectation is that he's going to be a very formidable candidate and he's still the most likely person to win the nomination, despite everything I just said, mm-hmm. because I don't think there's anyone strong enough to be able to beat him mm-hmm. in the primary as of today. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. OK, we have to take a quick break, but we'll be back after this message. Hey, this is Kimberly. Real quick, just reminding you, if you like this show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash start me up. There's all kinds of tiers. Check them out. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV. The Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with a zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute, and available reclining lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Okay, so we're going to switch gears here. Um, I just want to get to a tweet. You said... um, GOP MAGA having a week. House is in historic meltdown. Trump may be indicted on espionage charges. DeSantis may get indicted for human trafficking. Fox may try to kick uh, Tucker off of Twitter. And Biden keeps kicking ass. So I just kind of want to focus on this for a minute and talk about it a little bit more because it is very difficult. I mean, you know, just as a human being who is trying to navigate their way through the world, when you, especially when you sign on to Twitter and you see... You look at, I mean, living on the East Coast right now, I mean, I'm in Maryland and I look out the window and it reminds me of California when there were wildfires and the yep. air is, the air quality is so poor. Um, there's a lot to be concerned about and we're going to get to that in a minute, but, but there's a lot to be hopeful about. So can you go over a couple of these things specifically on the yeah. House and McCarthy? Yeah, I wrote it and I wrote it, I ended up writing a whole piece today in my Substack about this. So here's what happened to the Republican Party just this week. Right. This was after them spending several months trying to blow up the entire global economy and the mm-hmm. American economy, which was you know, an interesting ambition for any American <laughs> political party. But now they've gone from that to Kevin McCarthy's lost control of the House, and it's not clear he's going to be able to regain it, and I can go into detail on that. We, yes. know we just discovered the Jack Smith stuff, you know, which is very dangerous and mm-hmm. ugly for the Republicans. There's starting to be a significant backlash to DeSantis's extremism in Florida, you know, just in recent, just in the last, you know, few weeks, right? We've seen Disney pull thousands of jobs and sue the state. Businesses across the state are now protesting his new outrageous immigration law because it's going to hurt their, their workforce. There's estimates that some industries in Florida could lose as much as 10% of their workforce because of this law, which would be crippling to many businesses across the state, including agriculture. We now are starting to see reports of major conferences in Florida getting canceled <clears throat> because of the objection to the political agenda of, of the governor. We saw also with DeSantis this week that a sheriff in Texas has recommended felony level human trafficking charges in his, you know, flying the, the immigrants up to mm-hmm. Martha's Vineyard. California is looking into something very similar, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason it's human trafficking felony level is that there were kids involved. Um, and so it's a, there were five kids on that plane to Martha's Vineyard, meaning that that process that Governor DeSantis oversaw is considered to be, by a sheriff in Texas, human trafficking of children, mm-hmm. right, the governor of Florida. We also saw something that I think was hilarious this week, which is the president's border plan has been working, flow to the border is 
you know, drying up. It's a fraction of what it was even six weeks ago. And yet the Republicans, four Republican governors sent National Guard troops to the border this week, looking absurd and ridiculous. And now the House Republicans are going to try to impeach Mayorkas, even though his plan that he's put forward is working, right? And then, you know, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, I think one of the other areas that I think is really going to be significant as Putin continues to escalate and we see him now really in, in uh, you know, committing uh, ever worsening and horrific war crimes, committing genocide in Ukraine, how can people like Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump and Elon Musk, you know, continue to uh, be an apologist for Putin? Mm -hmm. It's such a stain on the Republican Party. And so I think this week you've seen um, just an extraordinary explosion of ugliness of of MAGA and the Republicans in ways that is continuing to push them further and further away from voters. And and one of the things I put in this po I showed in this post is that in um, in national polling, Civics, which has a daily track, DeSantis's favorability rating in at the at the end of last year was about 45-45. You know, it was it was even uh, with the national electorate. Today he's underwater by 19 points. It's 36-55. Wow. He's dropped 20 points of favorability in this poll since uh, late last year. I mean, that's just a devastating indictment yeah. of the Republicans. I mean, you think this Trump guy's ugly? Well, we got this really <laughs> other this other guy who's super ugly too, you know. And and that the the Republican Party has become this this ugly extremist thing. And voters rejected it three times in the battlegrounds the last three elections. I think every day these kinds of things happen. They push themselves further and further away from the electorate. And it's why, you know, as I look to 2024, I'd much rather be us than them. And, and I'm optimistic about our chances next year. Well, I keep I want to ask you about this and I know you can't make predictions. So it's not so much like I'm, I'm going for likelihood and then what we can yeah. do. But, um, you know, I keep hearing people saying, you know, oh, the Senate's an iffy thing or we may not keep the Senate. What are your thoughts about that? How can we fix that? Idea. Yeah, so I, I think, look, the big argument I've made to the cycle is that we need to try to get to 55. And what I mean by that is that we have to, to think about expansion, not playing defense. We played a lot of defense last cycle. Now mm -hmm. we need to be on offense for all the reasons that I just discussed, which is that they're ceding a lot of political terrain for us that we need to go seize. And, you know, we just saw us do it in Colorado Springs and in Jacksonville, two very Republican cities where we took away those cities from the Republicans just in the last few weeks, right? We saw it in Wisconsin where we took away a su Supreme Court seat. I think we have to be focused on expanding our coalition, growing our vote, and getting what I call getting to 55, which is trying to get to 55% nationally. Mm -hmm. And I, I've written on my Substack a much longer essay with data in it about why I think this is possible for us. And so I, I think it's really important that we approach this election with the idea that like the last election and like we just did in these in the states I mentioned that we're sort of performing at the upper level of what's possible for us and so for me what that means is you know we are favored to win the presidential race mm -hmm. in my view today because we are we got stronger in the battleground states last in 2022 despite it being 
a high inflation, low Biden approval year where the red wave was supposed to come wipe us all out, right? Kimberly, we, yeah. we ended up, you know, gaining ground in Arizona, Colorado, Georgia, Michigan, Minnesota, New Hampshire, and Pennsylvania. We got to 59% in Colorado, 57% in Pennsylvania, 55 in Michigan, 54 in New Hampshire. We just got to 56 in Wisconsin. You know, that's an incredible performance. Mm-hmm. So the battleground is now harder for the Republicans than it was, whoever their nominee is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel good about the presidential and also obviously our muscular grassroots all around the country mm-hmm. is giving us the resources and the volunteers to you know, do what we need to do on the ground to push turnout to be as high as it can be. The Senate is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it goes, but it's going to be hard. And we have three states um, that are, you know, that are outside the battleground that are reds that will go red this year, West Virginia, Ohio and Montana. The good news is that we have, at least in Ohio and Montana, you know, two we have two people running for re-election who've been able to withstand these kinds of things before. And in many of the other states we have to win, it's in this battleground states where we've been doing so well. So I think the Senate's a jump ball. I don't, you know, I think it's it could go, you know, it's going to be hard for us to pick up seats, mm-hmm. but I also don't know that we're going to lose any. The House, we should be able to flip the House. Mm-hmm. If Biden has a good election, the House should flip with him. And I think we've learned a lot about House races in recent years. Um, and I also think the Supreme Court decision today is going to potentially free up four or five districts for us. You know, just those little things could really matter as we head into 2024. But I'm very bullish on the House if Biden wins, right? If Biden doesn't win, then all this gets much harder, right? Yeah. And But we, you know, this is, look, it's going to be a very competitive cycle. But I think as we did in Kansas last year, as we did in the House specials, as we did in you know, the recent elections, you know, we have been – our team has risen to the challenge. Our candidates have done their work. And I think you know, we have to just make sure we're doing, doing the work that we do through postcards and texting and phone calls and giving money and canvassing and all the stuff we do. Um, and also uh, in, in order to make sure that our campaigns are – performing at the highest level they can. So I, I'm optimistic about next year. It's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I also think, as I said earlier, I think the Republicans are going to be saddled with these two ongoing pro, you know, things that will potentially continue to degrade their brand, right? Trump's depravities and malfeasance, his legal problems, his betrayal of the country, and then the growing understanding of what the, the new DeSantis agenda is mm-hmm. doing to Florida mm-hmm. and how that can end up being a real problem for them in the general election, even if Trump is the nominee, mm-hmm. right? Because it becomes a reminder of what they're going to do if they win. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, and, and what they are doing in Florida is, is, you know, extreme and wild. And I think it's going to be something that we can use very graphically to push voters further and further away from the Republicans over the next year and a half. Right. And aside from the fact that DeSantis is just an absolutely abysmal candidate, I mean, he's, he's so bad. It's laughable. Um, I mean, that doesn't necessarily, you know, I've heard people say, make the argument, oh, well, we didn't think Trump was going to get in, but I think he and Trump are completely different because no matter what, I mean, I, I, obviously I hate what Trump does and what he stands for, but the dude has charisma within his own base. And I would say, you know, DeSantis is not the man, he's not the charismatic type. I think where he's got the points is, you know, he's got the the bigots and the misogynists and all of those people going, yeah, yeah, rah, rah. But I think with Donald Trump, he's a different bird. He's just got a different kind of an energy about him. And 
honestly don't see, you know, I, I agree with you that I think ultimately DeSantis is going to hurt everything um, with his agenda. But I think it's going to be fascinating. I don't know who it was. It was somebody who had pointed out on my show that, you know, I mean, in the 2015 or was it 2016 primaries? I don't remember which year. I guess 2016. Um, th- you know, I mean, Donald Trump just basically mopped the floor with everybody. Everybody. And so I think he's going to do the same thing this time. And this is what I think. And I just want to, I mean, aside from everything you just said, which is all absolutely, like, I'm totally with you on all of it. But, but it seems to me that in order to, let's say, I mean, I think that as, as a party and as a candidate, I think what they're thinking is, okay, we, we, we have to keep outdoing ourselves. And so I think the rhetoric between now and next summer is going to be so, I mean, we were looking at in 20, was it 2019? I think it was the CRT. They wouldn't shut up about CRT or yeah. 20, it was 2020. I'm sorry. Um, you know, and then I, now they're focusing on trans rights and all that. And it, it just, they're getting uglier and uglier and uglier. And I can't imagine what kind of bullshit they're going to be screaming about next July. You know, it's going to be well, so, ugly. it's going to hurt talk them. Let's about that for a second. Yeah. Because I think it's important what you're raising here, which is, what are they going to talk about? Yeah. And, and is it, and is it going to be in any way remotely relevant to people's lives? And I think a lot of the energy, you know, starting with the Virginia race in 2021, there was this belief that wokeism and, you know, which is wokeism. Let, let's be very clear about one thing since 1965 and the adoption of the Southern strategy by the Republican party, exploitation of racial fear has been their central domestic offering and it manifests itself differently every four years it's willie horton you know one year it's um you know it's in trump it was the radical left in the urban riots you know in his mind right 2020 and woke became just the next in line the next articulation of this way to create racial fear but i think that a lot of the the energy that drove the the development of woke was was around the exaggeration of the urban violence that took place in 2020 and the idea that there was this radical left Antifa burning down cities and all this, which was, it wasn't that there weren't issues, but Fox News played these burning cities every night and and created a perception of a reality that never really took place, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we yeah. didn't have entire cities burned down to the ground. Right. And you hear people talk about that on Fox, right? Mm-hmm. They talk about it as if, an entire city in the United States burned. I don't know what city that is, but, you know, and, and so there was this sort of sense of urban violence mm-hmm. as a backdrop mm-hmm. and also then COVID. And there was just this incredible like dislocation, fear, everything is all crazy. Right. But, you know, look where we are now, mm-hmm. two years later, you know, on the other side of COVID, the economy's doing really well. The Rocky war is going well for us. We've made these historic investments in climate change. Right. Crime is coming way down. And all of that sort of that stuff that was used to construct Mm -hmm. woke, which is really what DeSantis' entire campaign is about, I think is evaporating. Mm -hmm. I think it's going away because, you know, look, people aren't coming to the border. Murder rates are plummeting across the United States, right? There is, where has there been an Antifa attack in the last three years, right? Um, and all these boogeymen that they use to sort of create this, the fuel for this woke stuff, it's, it's disappearing. And, and I think, you know, if you watch DeSantis, right, 
he's running a campaign as if it's the the spring of 2022 and that COVID is still here. He's still talking about Fauci, right? Like he has ads up today about Fauci and Trump. He's talking about Fauci. He's talking about woke. You know, woke is where, you know, Florida is where woke goes to die. My Mm -hmm. line about the DeSantis campaign is DeSantis's campaign. I mean, woke is where the DeSantis campaign goes to die. And, and they, and I think that they've, Built, built so much on top of this, and it's evaporating. And I have no idea what they're going to run on. <laughs> and and the and and the more that they go into these marginal issues like trans rights, the further and further away they get from voters who care about the economy and healthcare and making sure their kids can go to school safely without getting shot. And these sort of very basic things that the Republicans you know, are on the other side of, right? I mean, they're for stripping healthcare away from tens of millions of people. They're for uh, making sure more kids die mm-hmm. every day because mm-hmm. of their gun policy. I mean, so I think there's a, the Republicans are facing something. This is why I'm so bullish <laughs> on our chances next year is that Joe Biden's going to be able to say, I made your life a lot better. You know, we st- stood down Putin. We've made these historic investments. Here's my agenda for the second term. And the Republicans are going to say what, right? <laughs> nah, 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 nah. I mean, like you know, I, I don't, I don't know. And I, and I think it's a big problem. You know, oh, I meant I should have mentioned inflation is right. now almost down to two percent. Yes, yes, yes. And and so so like there's no indictment of Biden. The indictment right. is going to be centered largely around his age, and around the fact that it, that it's that I think where they're going to go is that it's the can't they're going to run against Kamala. They're not going to run against Biden. Yes. They're going to say 100%. Biden is too old. He's going to retire yeah. after the election. She's going to be the president. So let's talk about her. And yeah. that's the only place as a strategist that I can see them going where they could gain some traction. But on everything mm-hmm. else, they've got nothing. And they got big nothing. They got all yeah. sorts of nothing. They got baskets and baskets of nothing. And 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 I don't I don't I think this is becoming clearer and clearer and i'll give you the example of that right the performative stuff on the border this week mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they four governors including Yunkin in virginia sent national guard troops down to the border when nobody's coming right. i mean what is, i mean it's like it's like a joke like it's a bad joke or they're going to impeach mayorkas over having implemented really successful border policies and so they they've built this whole politics around things that are disappearing mm-hmm. And they're really in trouble in that regard, right? They don't really have anything. And so it's why I think we have to continue to not approach this election and our politics every day from a defensive place. Mm-hmm. We're strong, they're weak. We're united, they're divided. We've done a good job, they're crazy, right? Like, however you create the construct, mm-hmm. we have to get out of the place of darkness, of failure, of defensive crouch. You know, that's because that's not actually where we are any longer. And people who go back to that are doing a disservice Mm -hmm. to the Democratic Party right now and a disservice to reality, Mm -hmm. right? You know, which is that right now we're kicking their ass and, you know, that's not always gonna be the case, but Mm -hmm. it is now. And you gotta take the wins when they come and celebrate them. Mm -hmm. And then, and understand that also when you're on offense, it is about expansion and growth. Mm -hmm. It's about taking more terrain away from them. So. I'm very, I, I really, when I more game at this election, you know, I don't, they have very few ways to really come after us while we have more ways to go after them than we've ever had in the modern history of the two-party system. 
Yeah, and you, I mean, the thing you said about them going after Kamala, Nikki Haley's already doing it. She said it the other day. So, um, that they're, yeah, that they're gonna, that's where they're gonna go. They're yeah. gonna live there, and particularly Trump. Yeah. Trump wants to run against a black woman. Right. Right. Like that's in his fantasy, mm-hmm. right? That's what he wants to do, right? And they're gonna, they're gonna make her, they're gonna be, you know, live billboards, posters of her mm-hmm. everywhere. They're gonna, they're gonna make this election about her. Mm hmm. And, and I don't think it's going to work. I mean, the point is, like, she's not actually the candidate. Right. And so, you know, again, this is – I understand this is where they're going to go, but it, they're going to go because they got nothing. And that's not a – you know, sort of a little bit more than nothing is not a lot, right? And and so they've got, they've got real problems. I don't think these attacks that are making – they're falling flat. All the Hunter Biden stuff fell flat. They mm-hmm. tried to go after Biden Afghanistan. That fell flat. You know, they're trying to create this Biden crime family stuff. Okay, I mean, you know, like, go ahead, guys. Try to make, if you're going to make a big deal out of this so-called payment from the Chinese government to to Hunter Biden and somehow Joe Biden, which you can't prove, got a cut out of it, how do you explain the $2 billion from the Saudis directly to the Trump family, right? You know, it's like they can't, they can only go to this Biden crime family place in their heads. They can't actually go there in reality. And that's why, you know, if Jack Smith puts this Saudi money to the Trump family on the table in the next few weeks, it is going to be devastating for them, for the Republican Party. It's going to be devastating because it's the largest bribe in the history of Western democracy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Out in the open that we know about. And it's just like they were it was the Saudis are so arrogant and crazy that they just like, yeah, we can give $2 billion to the Trump family. What are you going to do about it? Well, let's see what Jack Smith is about to do. Well, and and going back to Kamala, I I just want to say the ugliness is going to be so ugly because, I mean, look what happened with the ugliness when there was a black man running and president. And then look at the ugliness when the women were running, you know, specifically Hillary and what happened to her. Obviously, other women faced misogyny and sexism but with Kamala it's going to be that combination of racism and misogyny and they're not going to be able to help themselves because Trump did open that Pandora's box with you know it's like you know they all want to say the n-word so badly and it's just like right there on their tongue and so they're they're I, I don't I doubt they're going to go that far but I do believe that they're going to just keep going right up to that edge and it's it's I think it's going to be a big huge turnoff I mean obviously we we did see what happened when Obama was president and, and how the racists in this country reacted. Um, and they're going to, Kamala's just going to, oh my God, it's going to drive them nuts. But, um, but yeah, I think. Barack Hussein, Barack Hussein Obama got 53% of the uh, Yes, that's in true. 2000, <laughs> in 2008, which that is, is the best showing of a Democratic candidate since, night, since in the last 58 years. Yes, and as we see, you know, I mean, when you turn on your television, you're seeing commercials with, um, you know, either it's either same-sex same, same sex couples or um, different races together. It's just the normal. It's what people are used to and we're comfortable, and we're, we're more and more comfortable. I mean, obviously, there's going to be people in this country who are never comfortable with stuff like that, but I, I'd say the majority of us are just comfortable with it, and we don't give a shit what color your skin is, who you love, or anything like that. But I think, yeah, I do think the Republican Party is because they don't have anywhere to go. The only thing they can do is just double down, triple down, quadruple down on on their hatred. And I think it will come bite them in the ass. I mean, there are things to be afraid of. There are things that we have to be concerned about. 
And I do want to ask you, what do you think some of those things that we do have to be concerned about are and how do we um, deal with it so that we can feel confident? So say that one more time. I just want to make sure. Uh, I there, I mean, there are certain things like, okay, I'll throw you one thing. One thing yeah. that I'm concerned about. There are certain things that we have to be concerned about right now. Um, one of those things for me are, you know, the low, no labels ticket. Not that I'm afraid Cornell West or Marianne Williamson will win, but I do think that they could put um, certain ideas in the minds of very young voters who don't fully understand how government works and, you know, the whole purity thing. I'm, I'm afraid what they'll do is taint some of our younger voters or, or, or voters who don't really understand how things work, and that could hurt Biden. So there are things that are in front of us that are concerning and I just want to know maybe some of those things what you think those things are but what can we do how can we think about it how do we keep ourselves from going crazy and feeling yeah. like everything is all lost? well this is let's talk let me start with the end of that and as, as which is you know when I do my talks for, for on my Substack, and I you know I do a couple times a month I get together with folks and and I one of the things I talk about a lot is that we have to live more when we get up and we sort of engage in politics, we have to live more in the space of look at all these good things that Biden's done as opposed to the place of like, look at all these things I'm really worried about, right? Because worry and concern can become paralyzing and debilitating, particularly when you can't do anything about it. Right. And so it almost becomes a little bit self-indulgent about in the sense that like, I can't, I can't do anything about no labels, mm -hmm. so why worry about it? Mm -hmm. Let me go talk to my friends about the amazing economy under Joe Biden, right? And I think I think there's like a, di a discipline in our heads that we have to get better at collectively to not spend, not allow all the ways they want us to be worried to actually worry us and affect us and throw us off our game, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the ways I deal with it is, because we all have the worry, we all have the concern, is that you know I do what I do every day, but I think everyone what I what I've asked people to do is to think about not only doing all the work that we all do in elections, the texting and the phone calls and the giving and the postcards and the canvassing and all that, which is a critical outlet for many many Americans to you know stay engaged. There's a lot of people in my Hopium site writing postcards into Ohio right now, for example. Um, for the uh, the ballot initiative that's happening there in August, but the other way I think people can stay can channel this concern and frustration that they have about what's happened with, with the Republican Party is by becoming what I call an information warrior for democracy. And what I mean by that is that I think that we all know that the Republicans are louder than we are. Yeah, they they have the ability to control the daily discourse in the United States in a way that we just don't. It's a combination of Fox News, OAN, talk radio, all the stuff they've built up over a long time. And we have to get much more conscious about being loud. And what I and what I mean by that is that, you know, I think of it this way, which is that in the war room, when I worked in the war room 31 years ago, when we think of the war room, you sort of think of like 20 sweaty kids drinking Red Bulls, <laughs> producing videos, right, every day. But we need to think of the war room as a million or two million people proud patriots, you know, mm -hmm. spreading positive content through their networks like you are right now, Kimberly, right with me, um, you know, and helping spread uh, counter their pessimism and mm -hmm. their darkness with pos positive sentiment and with true facts about the progress we've made as a country. You know, Tucker Carlson had all that power by reaching 3 million people a night. 
if a million people reach 10 people every day, that's 10 million people. That's three times yeah. as many people as Tucker reached. And I think that we have much more power and agency um, than we understand in this regard. And and the thing is about the information war, the da- the fight over the daily discourse, is that happens every day. And, and so it's not just at election time. I think we've become really expert at channeling all this into elections, right? We've built this big election machine. Now we also have to you know, channel it in to participate as information warriors in the daily discourse, um, as people are who are listening today, right? Mm-hmm. You're getting smarter. You're getting more capable by listening to Kimberly, who's amazing, right? You're oh, getting you. smarter every day about how to go make the case that you want to make about our politics to your friends, your networks. And and I just want to encourage everybody to, to realize that even if you reach 10 people a day, that's a lot if a million people are doing it. Right. And so don't feel, you know, if you're a voice in a chorus, you're one voice, but if there's a million people singing together, mm-hmm. we can be very, very loud. And I think we have to really rethink the way that we understand what politics is as Democrats and recognize that when we engage with others, it should be overwhelmingly positive sentiment and not negative sentiment. They put negative sentiment into our discourse every day. And, and this, if I can say one last thing, I, I have this way of talking where I want to do an exercise with you, Kimberly, if you let me do it. I'm yes. a former English major, right? So sure. I want to just work on speaking in declarative sentences. Joe Biden has been a good president, period. The country's better off, period. The Democratic Party is strong, period. No comma, no but, no semicolon, no however. When you do the but and the however, you're making MAGA's arguments for them. Mm-hmm. And we have, to, we have to make our arguments for us and let them make their arguments for them. And we have to stop. I think we've become really conditioned to make MAGA's arguments for them. Mm-hmm. And we have to get disciplined about this and stop doing it. We have to make our arguments for us. That's our job. Mm -hmm. Their job is to make their arguments. Our job is to make our arguments. Mm -hmm. Our job is not to make their arguments for them. (laughs) Right. And, and, and so I think it's, we, this is a, this is what you're getting at. I mean, you've been asking me a version of this question through the whole discussion, (laughs) which is that how do we, and I really have come to believe that what MAGA is at its core is a negative sentiment machine. It's trying to put negative sentiment into our discourse every day. And one of the ways we defeat MAGA is by putting positive sentiment into our discourse every day as a response and drowning out their pessimism with old-fashioned American optimism and can-do optimism and courage, right? And that's where I think we – that's what we've been doing. It's it's how Joe Biden is orienting his campaign. Mm -hmm. His first ad, you know what the four words were in the first ad? Mm -hmm. They were um, courage, optimism, freedom, and democracy. What a great way to start a presidential campaign. It was really, I'm very excited about the early Biden media and what they're doing. Wow, that's wonderful. And I mean, I'm somebody who, I mean, I try to focus on the optimism as much as I can. And I'm human, so I get dragged down sometimes and I I mess up. Um, But I try to at least spring back. You know, I mean, I certainly got freaked out on election night. I, I, I remained optimistic up until election night. And then, I, you know, I mean, I just was unable <laughs> to, to handle myself. We didn't know what was going to happen. And I saw DeSantis and uh, Marco Rubio get in again with no, you know, they were not gerrymandered. So it was like, oh, my God, I was freaking out. But, yeah, I, I mean, overall, 100 percent, you are correct. And 
I that's why I like to follow and retweet you because you remind me. Um, I try not to do their argument for them, but you know I do have to go uh, after Ted Cruz every once in a while because he doesn't have any balls, and I just have to say it. So. <laughs> well, listen, I want to be very clear about this. Like, I wrote a whole piece today that was all about how much they suck. Right. right? It, it doesn't mean that we don't go there. Right. But we right, just have right, to, right. we have to go there less. Yeah. Like, no, I don't ever right. want to see another on my Twitter feed. I don't want to ever see another picture of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, I know. we all know she's horrible. Yeah. We don't need to dwell in it. We don't need to. You know, view tweeting out about on a daily basis how horrible she is. What value are we adding right. when we do that? Yes. Right. You know, yeah. and I think the value we're adding, the thing that people aren't hearing about, is how inflation is coming down and mm -hmm. the deficit is down and jobs are being created. Those are the things people aren't hearing about. And so, where you can add value, if you want to be an information warrior, the stuff that, you know, we're all drowning in their awfulness, right? We need to balance that. You know, I, what I say to people is try to be two thirds positive, one third contrast, as we call it. Right. Politics, yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, and and not the other way around. I think a lot of our daily engagement as Democrats is sort of one third positive and two thirds mm -hmm. contrast or negative. Yeah. I think we got to flip that and, right. and spend more of our time living in the light and not the darkness, because the darkness is also debilitating. The darkness mm -hmm. is paralyzing. The mm -hmm. darkness is wounding. Right. It's scary. Why go to scary places? Go to happy places, yeah. right? And 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 it's really like it's really, I mean, this it's easy for me to say this, but this is literally what I do. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is literally how I get up every day <laughs> and deal with the same stuff that we're all looking at. If I spent all my day looking at videos of Margie Taylor Green, I'd yeah. tear my hair out. Well, I, I don't do that, right? I look at all this amazing shit Biden's doing, and I try to share that with everybody. Yeah. And and we all got to get better at that. And I think if we do, I think we can change the world. And and it's it's a new muscle that we've got to develop and exercise. And it will be one of the most powerful muscles that Democrats have ever had. I worked for Bill Clinton, you know, in a long time ago, and he always said some version of, you know, an optimistic Democrat is the most powerful political positioning in politics. And, and I still, I still believe that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And, you know, amen to everything you just said. And I think I, I, I will continue to make that effort to put out more <laughs> positive information. And, you know, I mean, I am a sarcastic person, so I do have to get my digs in on occasion, but yes, uh, a third of the time is something I can handle. And I think the rest of us can, too. And I'm just going to throw out before I let you go, I, I yeah. want to throw this out there because it was such a good idea. David Pepper wrote a new book it's called Saving yep. Democracy. And one of the uh, it, it's basically filled with things that people can do. And he was focusing specifically on, you know, we've all got our footprint of what we do in the day. Right. And um there are things that we can do that don't, you know, people are busy. They have to take their kids to school. They got to go to work, et cetera. So one of the things that he recommended is getting in touch with your city council person and asking them to do voter registrations in like public libraries or schools or, you know, whatever it is. And then you could also, if there are events happening in your area where there are going to be a lot of people, if there, you know, even if there's some kind of street fair that's ongoing, like I know in California in Montrose, there's a street fair every week. So maybe there could be a table set up to get people registered to vote. And that's something that doesn't take a lot of your time, but it would accomplish a lot. And it would make it, you know, for all these people who are disenfranchised in so many parts of the country, this would be a great place for them 
to, you know, to get registered and everything like that. So there's all kinds of things that we can do. And to your point that instead of focusing on the negative and, and you know, focusing on happy things, also focus on what you can do because you can, you, you know, we could throw our arms up and go, there's nothing I could do. There's always something we can do, even if it's a positive tweet, even if it's just that there's always something that we can do to improve our home. And that's the way, I mean, we can look at this as America, we can look at this as a democracy, but it is our home. And so yeah. we should protect our home in the same way we protect our homes and apartments and our houses and all of that. So, okay, I'm off my soapbox. No, um, no, no, amen <laughs> to all that. And I'll just respond by saying, I think if, if, my, if, I had, if I was Harry Potter and I had a magic wand and I could do wave my wand over the Democratic family, I think there would be two things that I would just encourage everybody to think about how they can help with this year. One is we have to win the economic argument for mm -hmm. them. Um, you know, the only area that matters to voters where Republicans are doing well is on the economy. Mm -hmm. If we take that away from them, they really have, they really, really have nothing mm -hmm. as we were talking about earlier. The second is that we do need to launch a ongoing voter registration drive with young people mm -hmm. everywhere. And the national party, I hope will take the lead on it, whether it does or not, it doesn't mean that people in their own communities can't get you know, attached to the Democratic Party or yeah. indivisible to the left. Um, that's, if we can do those two things this year, if we can get into better shape on the economy with the Republicans, and I produce a lot of material on my site to help people with that, and then launch a national voter registration drive with young people, if we can do those two things this year, we're much more likely to be successful next year. And so I would encourage people that those are, if I could direct your activity, right? Those are the two areas where we, that are the most important in my view. But then there's dozens of other things that can happen. I mean, one of the people you should probably have on your show if you haven't had her is Laura Brill from the Civic Center, and I can connect you. She's yeah, that would be great. To, she's uh, running an organization that's trying to create programs to get every high school kid in America registered wow. by the time they graduate. And it's a brilliant, it's mm -hmm. great work. I'm really proud of her for what she's doing. She just was a citizen who got off the sidelines and invented this organization that's doing really important youth organizing all around the country. Um, and I'll connect you to Laura and you should yes. have her on. But there's so much good stuff happening and David's right, right? Whatever it is you do, it, it, what I, people ask me all the time, what's the best thing to do, canvassing or postcards? It's it's whatever you're comfortable doing, mm -hmm. and that you, so that you do it more. Right. Right. That's the most important thing. <laughs> right. You know, doing something that like going. And if you're not comfortable canvassing, and you only do it once a year for two hours, that's not good. If right. you have other things you can do, like writing postcards or yeah. registering voters, that's more comfortable for you, and you do more of it. Yeah. Right. Then that's really important. So there's no right way, wrong way. It's just what you're comfortable doing and do more of it. That's the most important thing. Yeah, and I mean, I've I, David's book is on order, Saving Democracy. So it, I just got a thing saying it's late, but it's coming. And I'm very much <laughs> looking forward to reading it because, you know, we all live busy lives and we all feel like, oh my God, I'd like to help, but I just don't have any time. There's all kinds of things that we can do that don't require a lot of time. So um, yeah. just keep that in mind. But Simon, it's always great talking to you. And before I let you go, please tell everybody where to find you. Yeah, so Hopium Chronicles is my hmm. uh, is my Substack. It's um, Hopium is in my view hope with a plan. Uh, it's the ability to, through good work, to not just be hopeful but to change outcomes and change the future, right? As we did in 2022 mm -hmm. together. 
Um, so you can type in Hopium Chronicles or Substack and Simon Rosenberg. You can find it. Subscribing is free. You don't, it doesn't cost anything. If you do want to give me a little bit of money, you know, that would be great too. But it's free, and um, you know, we've got a great community there, lots of people engaging every day. The water is warm. Come join us there. <laughs> and then, of course, you're on Twitter at Simon WDC. Yep. So go ahead and yep. follow him on Twitter if you're not already and sign up to his Substack. Of course, I'm author Kimberly L-E-Y on oh. Twitter. And then, I, oh, what, was there something else? No, that's my dog. Barking, oh. <laughs> I think. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. I, 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 one of the reasons I'm in this room in my house is that I have a very loud dog. And this is the only room that usually he can't. His bark can't get to. But he's he so just, cute, though. I've seen him. He's yeah, a cutie. Yeah, no, he's a crazy beast. <laughs> he's an old ten and a half year old bulldog. Oh, and he's so cute. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, it, so it was your dog and not you. But yes. I am yeah. spoutable, Kimberly Johnson. L or yeah, is it just Kimberly Johnson? L E Y. And my books are on Amazon. So once again, thank you, Simon. It's always great talking to you. Thanks, Kimberly, so much. Thanks okay. for all that you do. Oh, thank you. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20.